Chapter Seven, Sections One through Five of Backwater by Dorothy Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Seven, Section One. Harriet's ringed fingers had finished dipping and drying the blue and white tea service. She sat for a moment staring ahead downstream. Sitting opposite her, Gerald watched her face with a half smile miriam waited sitting at her side it was the first moment of silence since she had come home at midday from the willow curtained island against which they were moored came little crepitations and flittings ahead of them the river blazed gold and blue hedged by high spacious trees come to tea come to tea hurry up dear said a bird suddenly from the island thicket do you know what bird that is gerald asked miriam not from adam breathed gerald swaying on his seat with a little laugh it's a bird that's all i know we'd better unmoor silly muttered harriet briskly gathering up the tiller ropes right la reine look here let me do something this time pull or something you sit still my dear but i should simply love to you shall pull downstream if you like later on when the bally sun's down my advice to you now is to go and lounge in the bow oh yes mim you try it lie right down it's simply heavenly the boat glided deliciously away upstream as miriam relinquishing her vision of harriet sitting very upright in the stern in her white drill dress and gerald's lawn-shirted back and long lean arms grasping the skulls lay back on the bow cushions with her feet comfortably outstretched under the unoccupied seat in front of her six hours ago shaking hands with a roomful of noisy home-going girls and now nothing to do but float dreamily out through the gateway of her six weeks holiday the dust of the school was still upon her the skin of her face felt strained and tired her hands were tired and hot her blouse dim with a week of school wear and her black skirt oppressed her with its invisible burden of grime but she was staring up at a clean blue sky fringed with treetops she stretched herself out more luxuriously upon her cushions the river smoothly moving and lapping underneath the boat was like a cradle the soft fingers of the air caressed her temples and moved along the outlines of her face and neck forty-two days like this to-morrow she would wake up a new person sing and shout with harriet she closed her eyes the gently lifting water seemed to come nearer the invading air closed in on her she gave herself ecstatically to its touch the muscles of her tired face relaxed and she believed that she could sleep cry or sleep two it was gerald who had worked this miraculous first day for her boating hitherto had meant large made-up parties of tennis club people a fixed day uneasy anticipations as to the weather the carrying of hampers of provisions and crockery spirit lamps and kettles clumsy hired randans or little fleets of stupidly competing canoes lack of space heavy loads to pull the need for ceaseless chaff the irritating triumphs of clever knowing girls in smart clothes the pools or really beautiful people like nan babington and her cousin everything they said sounding wonderful and seeming to improve the scenery the jokes of the men even ted always joked all the time the misery of large noisy picnic teas on the grass and in the end great weariness and disappointment the beauty of the river and the trees only appearing the next day or perhaps long afterwards this boat was gerald's own private boat a double sculling skiff slender and gold-brown 
beautifully fitted and with a locker containing everything that was wanted for picnicking they had arranged their expedition at lunchtime trained to richmond bought fruit and cakes and got the boat's water keg filled by one of redknapp's men gerald knew how to do things properly he had always been accustomed to things like this boat he would not care to have anything just anyhow let's do the thing decently laurin he would keep on saying that at intervals until harriet had learned it too how he had changed her since easter when their engagement had been openly allowed the clothes he had bought for her especially this plain drilled dress with its neat little coat the long black tie fastened with a plain heavy cable brooch pinned in lengthwise halfway down the ends of the tie which reached almost to her black belt that was gerald her shoes the number of pairs of light expensive beautifully made shoes her bearing the change in her voice a sort of roundness about her old harryish hardness but she was the same harry the harry he had seen for the first time snorting with anger over mr marth's sentimental singing at the assembly rooms concert my hat wasn't la reine fuming he would forgive her all her ignorance it was her triumph what an extraordinary time harry would have gerald was well off he had a private income behind his canadian pacific salary his grandfather had been a diplomatist living abroad nearly all the time and his wealthy father and wealthy mother with a large fortune of her own had lived in a large house in chelsea giving dinner parties and going to the opera until nearly all the capital had gone both dying just in time to leave enough to bring gerald in a small income when he left haleybury and the wonderful thing was that gerald liked mooching about and giggling he liked looking for hours in shop windows and strolling on the heath eating peppermints three everything had disappeared into a soft blackness only on the water a faint light was left it came and went sometimes there was nothing but darkness in the soft air the small paper lantern swinging at the bow made a little blot of light that was invisible from the stroke seat the boat went swiftly and easily miriam felt she could go on pulling for hours at the top of her strength through the night leaning forward breasting the featureless darkness sweeping the skulls back at the full reach of her arms leaning back and pressing her whole weight upwards from the footboard against the pull of the water her body became an outstretched elastic system of muscles rhythmically working against the smooth dragging resistance of the dark water her sleeves were rolled up her collar stud unfastened her cool drowsy lids drooped over her cool eyes each time she leaned backwards against her stroke pressing the footboard the weight of her body dragged at a line of soreness where the skulls pressed her hands and with the final fling of the water from the skulls a little stinging pain ran along the pads of her palms to-morrow there would be a row of happy blisters you needn't put more beef into it than you like Mary. gerald's voice came so quietly out of the darkness that it scarcely disturbed miriam's ecstasy she relaxed her swing and letting the skulls skim and dip in short easy strokes sat glowing i've never pulled a boat alone before it shows you can't be a blue stocking thank the lord laughed gerald who said i was i've always understood you were a very wise lady my dear nobody told you she was a blue stocking silly you invented the word yourself i i invented blue stocking yes you silly it's like you're saying women never date their letters just because your cousins don't vive la reine the lord deliver me from blue stockings anyhow all right what about it there aren't any here you're not one anyhow four the next day after tea eve arrived home from gloucestershire 
Miriam had spent the day with Harriet. After breakfast, bounding silently up and down stairs, they visited each room in turn, chased each other about the echoing rooms and passages of the basement and all over the garden. Miriam listened speechlessly to the sound of Harriet's heels soft on the stair carpet, ringing on the stone floors of the basement, and the swish of her skirts as she flew over the lawn, following, surrounding, responding to Miriam's wild tour of the garden. Miriam listened and watched, her eyes and ears eagerly gathering and hoarding visions. It could not go on. Presently some claim would be made on Harriet, and she would be alone. But when they had had their fill of silently rushing about, Harriet piloted her into the drawing-room and hastily began opening the piano. A pile of duets lay on the lid. She had evidently gathered them there in readiness. Wandering about the room, shifting the familiar ornaments, flinging herself into chair after chair, Miriam watched her and saw that her strange, quiet little snub face was lit and shapely. Harriet, grown up, serene and well-dressed, and going to be married in the spring, was transported by this new coming together. When they had played the last of the duets that they knew well, Harriet fumbled at the pages of a bound volume of operas in obvious uncertainty. At any moment Miriam might get up and go off and bring their sitting together on the long cretonne-covered duet stool to an end. Come on, roared Miriam gently. Let's try this. And they attacked the difficult pages. Miriam counted the meter, whispered it intoned and sang it, carrying Harriet along with shouts, Go on, go on, when they had lost each other. They smashed their way along by turns, playing only a single note here and there into the framework of Miriam's desperate counting, or banging out cheerful masses of discordant tones, anything to go on driving their way together through the pages, while the sunlight streamed half-seen into the conservatory and the flower-filled garden crowded up against the windows, anything to come out triumphantly together at the end and to stop satisfied the sounds of the house so long secretly known to them both low now around them heard by them together punctuating their joy the gong sounded for lunch eve miriam remembered suddenly eve's coming this afternoon the thought set gladness thundering through her as she rose from the piano let's go for a walk after lunch she muttered harriet blushed all right she responded tenderly five the mile of gently rising roadway leading to the heath was overarched by huge trees shadowy orchards in the silent sunlit outlying meadows and parkland of a large estate streamed gently by them beyond the trees as they strode along through the cool leaf-scented air they strode speechlessly ahead as if on a pilgrimage keeping step harriet's stylish costume had a strange unreal look in the great lane under the towering trees miriam wondered if she found it dull and was taking it so boldly because they were walking along it together obviously she did not want to talk she walked along swiftly and erect looking eagerly ahead as if when they reached the top and the heath and the windmill they would find something they were both looking for miriam felt she could glance about unnoticed and looked freely as she had done so many hundreds of times before at the light on the distant meadows and lying along the patches of undergrowth between the trunks of the trees they challenged and questioned her silently as they had always done and she them in a sort of passionate sulkiness they gave no answer but the scents in the cool tree-filled air went on all the time offering steady assurance and presently as walking became an unconscious rhythm and the question of talk or no talk had definitely decided itself 
the challenge of the light was silenced and the shaded roadway led on to paradise was there anyone anywhere who saw it as she did anyone who looking along the alley of white road would want to sit down in the roadway or kneel amongst the undergrowth and shout and shout in the north of london there were all those harsh street voices infesting the trees in the parks no they did not exist there was no north london let them die they did not know the meaning of far-reaching meadows parkland deer the great silent heath the silent shoulders of the windmill against the far-off softness of the sky harsh streetiness cunning knowing do you blame me or charwomanishness smarmy churchy or chapelish sentimentality sentimentality no need to think about them never the time and the place and the loved one altogether who said that was it true dreadful it couldn't be so many people had seen moonlit gardens together all the happy people who were sure of each other i say harriet she said at the top of her voice bringing harriet curveting in the road just in front of her i say listen harriet ran up the remaining strips of road and out on to the heath it was ablaze with sunlight as the river and the trees had been yesterday a whole day of light and eve on her way home almost home harriet must not know how she was rushing to eve with what tingling fingers oh what i was going to ask you was whether you can see the moonlight like it is when you are alone when gerald is there it isn't the same as when you are alone said harriet quietly arranging the cuff of her gown do explain what you mean well it's different i see you don't know how it's quite different does gerald like the moonlight i don't know i never asked him fancy the roehampton people living up here all the time there's their old washing going flip-flap over there harriet was finding out that she was back in the house with eve let's rush to the windmill let's sing come on only we can't rush and sing too yes we can come on running up over hillocks and stumbling through sandy gorse-grown hollows they sang a hunting song miriam leading with the short galloping phrases harriet's thinner voice dropping in broken and uncertain with a strange brave sadness in it that went to miriam's heart end of chapter seven section five recording by expatriate in bangor maine